Hi, everybody. It's Jean Nathan, and this is Crosstown Conversations. And um, so we have Halloween coming up, so needless to say, we're going to talk a little bit about that and uh, find out what's going on with one of the terrific programs, it sounds like to me, happening in Central City. Um, we're going to hear about um, a program with music this weekend at Xavier that sounds pretty terrific. And then I am going to um, talk with um, a rising star in town. Well, he's been rising for some time, so he's not exactly brand new. But um, we're going to be talking with Nesby Phipps, who is a rapper and an artist and um, has some interesting uh, ancestors. So we'll talk about all that. But we're going to get started talking about um, a program that's happening at the SOFAB, is the, the initials that a lot of people know it by. But it's actually the Southern oh, um, Food, Food and, and Beverage, Beverage Museum. Museum. <laughs> okay, I was trying to figure out what is the O, but that's part of the Southern. And um, we have a young man with us <laughs> who's going to um, uh, talk about the program and tell us um, exactly, um, you know, what it's going to be like. So introductions. Okay. Yeah, I'm Jack Carroll. Um, I work with um, – volunteer at the museum, but also work with Oshner – Health System and Eat uh, Oshner Eat Fit, which is the sponsor with the museum of the event with the Mexican Consulate. Um, and it's a, you know, with New Orleans having such a rich kind of food culture, one that often gets overlooked is the Latin aspect, especially after the hurricane. We have a much larger Mexican population. Yeah. Um, and this holiday is really a, a pretty centrally Mexican holiday. Um, it's around All Saints Day. I was going to say, it's, 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 it's really their version of All Saints Day. They call it Day of the Dead right. or Dia de los Muertos, if I got that right. <laughs> and, um, uh, it, but they're one and the same with All Saints Day, no? So it, What's the difference? Well, the originating time for it was with the Aztecs. So oh, it was much oh. farther back. So um, then that's actually not a Christian holiday. Right. Um, hmm. But what they did, you know, as I think often happened in culture, when cultures kind of meshed together, originally uh, this holiday was around the beginning of August in the Aztec calendar. Um, but as the Spanish came into the country, they kind of moved it to to coincide with um, All Souls Day. You know, keep people happy. If, if you <laughs> if you pay attention to all of the religious and other kinds of customs, and you go back far enough, you find these other one. appropriations <laughs> uh-huh. of basically pagan mm-hmm. or pre-religious customs. Right. Another a really good – actually, Halloween itself is a good but example yeah, yeah. of that. And uh, Christmas, which was really the solstice celebration, and even Mardi Gras. There's a book – You must. are you familiar with the book Golden Bough? Mm-mm. This is one of my absolute favorite books ever because it traces all these connections. Oh, that's kind of cool. And so I looked up Mardi Gras once and found out that this whole thing that we do with throwing the beads, that came from throwing dust on the fields in Greece to promote the next harvest. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it was a spring festival, but it was really all about, as about. so many of our customs <laughs> are, um, our else. food cycles. Yeah, yeah. And so what happens generally in Mexico during this time is 
families come to the cemetery and clean the graves. Um, and it's a time where they remember their families and they build altars um, kind of to prepare for these folks to come back and visit. Um, and so often on the altar, there'll be things they enjoyed, kinds of food. There'll be um, soap and water for them to wash up and their favorite drink. So it's not um, probably not the best for eat bit, but, but you can find like cigarettes and Coca-Cola, tequila, whatever that person liked. Um, and there's also marigolds, which are one of the flowers that are supposed to kind of attract the souls to come in. Um, and so what we're going to do is uh, attract the souls to come in, to come into the, to buy the altar, come back into the cemetery. Oh, oh, to and come visit. and visit the visitors. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so what we're going to do, the museum actually has um, a replica of an altar that's there all the time. Um, so people can see that, but we're going to expand it a little bit with some things the Mexican consulate has. And then we're going to do some of the activities and have some of the food that go along with that. So we'll be making sugar skulls. Um, that, that's, that, that's one of the things that you were doing that, that really um, I got excited about because I yeah. wanted to understand more about how that works. Yeah. So they're, um, they're made of sugar, and it has kind of like um, a meringue in it. So you can keep them. In fact, the ones on the altar have probably been there like four years. Um, and you decorate them. And oftentimes, if you're actually in Mexico, they'll write the name of someone who's passed away that you're going to put on the altar to kind of honor them. Um, so this day, you don't have to do that. But you can decorate the skull and then take it home with you. Decorate it with? Um, it's frosting that is going to harden. So it, it mm-hmm. doesn't rot or anything. So people mm-hmm. can really keep them um, so it's kind of it's kind of a Mexican coconut, as in the Zulu coconuts, in a funny way. Yeah, it's it's formally edible, right? You know, yeah, you way of celebrating yeah. and 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 expressing your creative talents, and then mm-hmm. you can keep it. Now you can keep it. Yep, you can take it with you. Okay, it's not going to attract ants and no things like that. No, not at all. Huh? Yeah, because of the meringue, really sure. I guess. I guess yeah, because it really. It hardens. It hardens. Yeah. 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 Well, that's great. And then masks. And masks because, you know, again, the skull is kind of one of the central themes. And so people, there'll be skull masks that people can decorate. Um, the papel de picado is, if you've ever seen the kind of tissue paper cutouts that, like at a lot of Latin festivals, they kind of hang across the they're very intricate ours won't be that intricate (laughs) right so um i kind of have a picture of what you were just talking about just from our own customs of decorating parties yeah and we often run a string of little paper dolls or something like that these are the ones that you actually see in mexico are like really elaborate Mm -hmm. Um, we'll be doing something a little simpler some people can actually do it um, the Mexican consulate's going to have a coloring book there for kids that kind of talks about Mexican history, but also some of the history around Day of the Dead. And then people can see um, the altar. Um, we'll have someone there to talk about the traditions. Um, and then Chef Maria Arajo is going to be there um, doing some cooking demonstrations. We're going to make candied pumpcorn, uh, pumpcorn, <laughs> pumpkin, uh, pumpkin tamales, um, and chocolate atole. And then the Mexican consulate is going to have guacamole and chips and a tequila tasting. Oh, this is all sounding very good, especially to somebody who hasn't had any lunch or breakfast. Oh, there you go. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so so is that you have to pay for the food? Um, no. Everything is free. And actually what's 
special about this day is Domino's is a sponsor of the event. And so any Louisiana residents or students who are at a school in Louisiana can come in free. Oh, neat. And so that's really, that's especially it's really, around $10 for sweet. adults and $5 for um, children. So it's, it's free for everybody. The food's free. All the activities are free. Um, and there'll actually be an artist that just moved here from Guadalajara, um, Omar Ortega, who will be selling some of the the art that goes along with Day of the Dead. So if people are interested in that, he'll be So there. what does that mean, like, for example? So there'll be decorated skulls, probably more f- fancy. And then there's a, um, a female skeleton called a Katrina. Interesting. But yeah, with a C. really. <laughs> when they named that hurricane, did they have <laughs> they were that thinking of her. in mind? Uh, mm-hmm. And that's kind of a symbol of uh, the Day of the Dead. Um, and so it's a, like a very kind of upper-class skeleton woman. Um, and so oftentimes they'll be like three or four feet high, um, really elaborately dressed. And so we'll have some of those to sell mm. and then decorated. I know decorated skulls, and he might have some masks too. Mm-hmm. So, and he, like I said, he just moved here from Guadalajara. So. What don't you have? Candied pumpkin, pumpkin tamales. The pumpkin tamales sounds, that sounds intriguing. Actually, the candied pumpkin's really good too. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet. And guacamole and chips, of course. I can't. Ever go anywhere without any Mexican restaurant without having know, like guacamole and chips, chocolate atole. Atole. So what's that? So it's kind of a. Um, a it's not going to sound very good, but it's actually very good. It's kind of a cornmeal drink um, that came from Aztec times too. But it, it it's kind of like hot chocolate, but a little thicker. Uh, uh-huh. But it has a really good taste. I was going to say maybe like our cane drinks. It's thicker than that. It's thicker than that, yeah. yeah. Um, but and the other thing, to because it's Ashner E. Fit, is all these all the recipes have been altered to be a little healthier, um, so you don't have to feel guilty at all. Healthy Halloween food. That's right. Why not? And one interesting thing when I was doing to come to talk to you, um, one of the beliefs is when you put food on the altar, often – they believe that the spirits come and they eat the spiritual part of the food. And so that what's left there that people eat, and people do eat it because there's usually tons of food, has no nutritional value. So hmm. so we can imagine that what happened is all the bad things went away from these foods, and all you'll have are good, healthy foods. <laughs> right. <laughs> Except for the tequila part. Well, that could be healthy, too. <laughs> <laughs> really? There's no fat. <laughs> No fat, yeah. <laughs> tequila tasting. So that's a different varieties of tequila? I think they're going to have three or four different tequilas and somebody there to kind of talk about, you know, how they make the tequila and a little bit um, about um, the different versions of it. We'll also have – we're not going to make it, but there's also a bread, uh, Day of the Dead bread, that's always on altars. And we'll have some of that uh, for people to sample. And we'll also have recipes for all of these things. Oh, that's good. For people to pick up, and a couple, um, a couple things for people to sample, and a couple recipes that necessarily aren't here, but are kind of the traditional foods. So So let's talk a little bit about um, Suffab itself, the Southern uh, Museum. Um, uh, The let me get this right now: the um, Suffab Southern Food and Beverage Museum, Museum. Um, right. Smack in the middle of all the action now. On, when you first opened, uh, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so much happening yeah. in Central City now, and you've got the Myrtle Banks building mm. and the Dryads Public Market, the Jazz, the jazz, jazz Club right across from you, the Jazz Market, 
and um, you reconcile. reconcile. Ashe, of course, is is and the top box foods is the anchor, and um, top box foods. What's you, top box foods? Oh well, I don't know about that. <laughs> so it's their offices are located um, at where Cafe Reconcilers. They're um, a group of mostly they were Tulane students who were really concerned about food access and food security in New Orleans, mm-hmm. and saw areas of town where. Um, are basically food deserts where people can't get access to fresh fruits and vegetables. And so what they've done is they offer foods at about half the price of grocery store prices. Um, and so it's a, you could get a box of fruit for uh, like 15 pounds of fruit for $20. And once a month, people order. And then uh, the next weekend, they go around the city um, and deliver the food to folks. Wow. Um, they deliver it. And they pay... I mean, so they have about 16 locations around the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them are in like areas of food deserts, and mm-hmm. people can pay in advance or pay when they get there. But again, mm-hmm. the price is about half of what you pay in the grocery store. So in addition how, to fruits, how, how are they able to do that? They have one one staff person, and they buy everything wholesale. So they have like no overhead. Um, so yeah, they're really they, able to keep the cost down. They're not trying to downs. maintain the staff of a place, right? And coolers and all those things. So they also have meats and fish and. Um, frozen oh, vegetables. They have, to have coolers, by the way. So they've got. They actually coolers. share with Liberty's Kitchen, so oh, some okay. places have allowed them to do that. And then they, um, where they get their vegetables, they come in cooler trucks um, to deliver things at the different. Mostly, it's churches and a couple Ashner locations. So it's a people should check it out. It's so they're deal. providing food at your event. They are. They're uh-huh. providing the food that we're going to use for the, the cooking. Mm-hmm. Well, what gave you what you know what inspired uh, doing a, a Day of the Dead at at the SoFab? What why do that? Well, I um, was a teacher in Guadalajara, Mexico, oh, okay. um, teaching mm-hmm. English, and it was just one of the holidays that just isn't Guadalajara like one of the places where the Day of the Dead is like really all stops out. It's big. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It, it, really is that big. do you know Robin Halverson by any chance? I've heard that name. So so she's a real estate broker here, but she has a place in Mexico, and she's. She's always there for. Oh, um, I bet it's Michoacan. It's like a little smaller town because Guadalajara is really. Big. I know there's another town that a lot of Americans have property in, and that it might be Cihuatanejo also. Okay. That's another possibility. It's one of those little small. But anyway, I know that she yeah, goes down there for the day. What, what do they do there? That's, uh, that's so, probably more elaborate, right? And this is kind of what. Well, it, I don't know if it's more elaborate. It's just bigger. So, like, what we're trying to create is every city, kind of in the center of the city has a market um, where you can buy all the things that go on altars and all these foods. Um, there's always music. Um, and so that's what always caught my attention because I just love the the things they make with it. The whole if, mix. Yeah, yeah, and if you haven't seen the altar, you should definitely, if nothing else, come by and see that. Um, and, and, and how is it different or similar to the St. Joseph's altar that's done in the Italian community? You know, I think the, the look is the same. Um, I think the altar, these altars are like for a specific person. Um, and so the things you'd see on the altar are things that that person, they'll have their photos on there and mm-hmm. the things that they actually like mm-hmm. um, or liked when, while they were alive. And in preparation for that trip to come visit where, you know, I think the St. Joseph's altar is about kind of recovering from that famine and so it's kind of bountiful food. And But, but if you looked at them, they'd be very similar. So... so 
I, I mean, I, I think, it's, is this the first time you've done it at SoFab? Or no, before, um, probably about four or five years ago when they were in their old location, um, we did one much smaller. Um, so this is, this is, it's been a while since we've done one this big, so... So this is the first. So of many. it's a big deal. Obviously, it it's is. family friendly. Yes. Right. Oh, so definitely. kids are invited, and um, the fact that it's free and you and have all free. that great stuff is uh, is amazing. That's that's just super fabulous. I can't imagine. And it's from 10 a.m. until three. 10 to three. So on Saturday. you know everybody has their chores to do. But and parking's that, easy down there. I think. It, it, know, it is still. It's not it really hard is. to get there. And um, to I mean. Sh- Sugar skull making masks, coloring books, Day of the Dead, altar, sounds beautiful, Food. candied <laughs> pumpkin, pumpkin tamales, I'm just making myself so hungry, <laughs> and a guacamole and chips, chocolate, atole, atole, and um, oh my God, it's just, it sounds like a lot of fun. And, it is. Um, I think it's great that you're doing this. Thanks. I really do. And, uh, you know, I got a little message on it from Pat Jolly is where I picked it up. Okay. She, she's one of my sources. <laughs> and um, Good. I just said, yeah, I'm going to do something well, on thank that. Thank you. We appreciate it. Dia de, de los Muertos at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum, 1504 Castle Haley Boulevard, which is just off MLK, right? Uh-huh. MLK Boulevard. Right on the corner. Plan on being there. Enjoy. And um, if I'm in town, and uh, looks like I may be, I will We'll save you a tequila. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Well, that's our our kind of um, commitment to the the, um, um, Halloween aspect of our weekend. But... um, so um, I, I now have in studio with me two guests, uh, one of whom, Giovanna Joseph, I have visited with here before and in other uh, circumstances. And she is, are you director of Opera Creole uh, or part of it? Founder and director of Opera Creole. Founder and, and, mm-hmm. and director. And with her is Dr. Wilfred Delphin, who both of them are here to talk with me about a, what sounds like a very elegant and special performance, um, piano music of Africa and the African diaspora, Friday night at the St. Catherine Drexel Chapel on Xavier University. So I'll repeat that just so that folks mm-hmm. know uh, about it. But, um, yeah, so piano music of Africa and the African di- diaspora, that, that's kind of surprising. So I need to know more about yeah, um, uh, who who um, who came up with that idea and what that's all about? Yeah, uh, the artist is um, William Chapman Yaho. He was born in Ghana, but uh, was trained primarily in Europe. Uh, his father was a diplomat, so he uh, lived in Switzerland for a long time, and then moved to England, where he did a lot of his advanced training. And now he's living in uh, Seattle. He's a wonderful classical pianist. And in his program, the program that he's going to do Friday evening, he uh, one of the opening pieces is a standard work, one of the monumental sonatas of Beethoven. But then he will also include a set of etudes that are written on West African rhythms, which I've heard oh, before. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Yeah, I've, I've heard him do some of those etudes before, and they really are incredible. 
and um, and then he will also. So do so how 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 is that going to work? So he's playing on the piano. The 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 uh, that aspect of the music, the rhythms are going to be incorporated into what he plays. Yeah, it's it's solo, right? It, it's, it's a solo it, performance. It's solo, but okay. what he does is he uh, he creates and maintains these incredibly complex rhythms in his left hand, and does um, variations on those rhythms, improvisations on those rhythms. Wow! Uh, it, with in his right hand, he has an incredible technique. Because, as I mentioned, the program starts with Beethoven and then it ends with Rachmaninoff. Um, so he's able to combine these ethnic sorts of um, influences in standard classical forms. That's that's really mm -hmm. interesting. How did how did that get started? How, how did, what what moved him in that direction? Well, I suppose, as I said, he's he's a, the child of a diplomat. So growing up in Ghana. He grew up with um, the music of, um, I've forgotten exactly the ethnic group that he's a part of there, but he grew up with that music. And then, like a lot of artists, when he found himself in the more traditional uh, training that he would have found in Switzerland and then later on in, um, in England, then he, it's, it's kind of like what jazz musicians do all the time. They take uh, particular cultural influences mm -hmm. and they meld w that style with uh, a more modern American style. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's an amazing thing that he does. So um, I, there was a time uh, when we first opened the Contemporary Arts Center when I produced something called the Dew Drop In. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm <laughs> making an adjustment here. Sorry, um, uh, I invited the chamber uh, group of the symphony to play with New Orleans drummers mm -hmm. in combination live together, and um, I, I just love to see those kind of mixing of, of influences. Sure. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, I can imagine uh, what this is like. I don't guess we have um, the opportunity to play, and is there something online <laughs> that we can play? No. <laughs> He does have uh, recordings online, but uh, I'm I'm sorry, I didn't think to bring anything. You don't with have to, today. but if you can tell me, um, maybe I can uh, tell Jazz. Um, his name is Chapman Nyaho, mm -hmm. N Y A H O, mm -hmm. and so maybe Jazz can um, yeah. find something mm -hmm. while we're. Uh, I should have told him about this beforehand, <laughs> but you know, I, I didn't. So William um, Chapman Nyaho. William -A -A Chapman, N-Y-A-H-O. Well, how did you come across this gentleman? How did you discover him? Oh, well, um, let's see. I'm trying to think. Actually, he taught for a while over in Lafayette at the oh, University okay. of Louisiana. And I uh, think UL, I first, uh -huh. yeah, I think I first, first heard of him there, and then he moved on. And then two years ago, I was at a conference out at, uh, in uh, Irvine, California, and he played a recital that was just fantastic. And then uh, last year, over in Charleston, South Carolina, there is a wonderful new festival of music called The Color of Music. He played a recital then, and uh, yeah, I'm just convinced. I mean, he's a, he's a major, major talent.
And, and and he's from uh, Africa originally, yeah, from Nigeria, no, let no, me no. guess by his name, no? No, he's from Ghana. Ke oh, Ghana, Ghana I'm sorry, did, you said that, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Ah, mm -hmm. um, oh, it sounds like we have mm -hmm. something that we can listen to for a minute, so... Gershwin. I was going to say, I'm channeling something that it reminds me of, and it's Gershwin. No, no, no. no. It's it's uh, it's a an arrangement of a Negro spiritual wade in the water. Uh, done, that's why it sounds familiar. Yeah, done, but his style of playing yeah. does remind me a little bit of Gershwin's style well, of, of piano. stuff. Yeah, it makes yeah, sense. It really is beautiful. <laughs> it makes sense that it would remind you of Gershwin because it's by a woman, Margaret Bonds, who uh, wrote in a very American style. I it mean, feels she, American. Yeah, it feels sort she, of, um, yeah. yeah, what what is the um, jazz symphony that Gershwin wrote that I'm not calling to mind? Well, he, he wrote uh, several things. An, an American in Paris, yeah. he wrote. American and, in Paris. Uh, and, yeah. and the one about New York, it's also, I'm feeling that too, a mm -hmm. little bit. I don't know why. Uh, but anyway, he's a, he's a beautiful musician. Now tell me about, this is part of a program, it looks like, <clears throat> that you're presenting um, um, at Xavier, and uh, it's called the Elise Performing Arts Center, honoring um, sister Elise Sisson. Mm -hmm. um, so tell me a little bit about sister Sisson, that she earned this um, wonderful tribute, and then uh, some of the other things that are going on in the program as well. Well, what we've decided to do is put, our, put together a concert series of all the things that we offer under the umbrella of Elise. Sister Elise oh, was the person who put Xavier on the map as a as an, uh, number one HBCU for opera and music. She came to New Orleans HBCU. in 1934, Historic Black College or University. Okay. She came to Xavier in 1934 and became oh. and began the opera program there. And we were trying she was to, a pioneer. She was a pioneer. And what we're doing is we're going back and honoring that history uh, and making it a part of all the things that we want to do going forward. And so it uh, is really a great honor to honor her because it's also the 125th anniversary of the Sisters of the Blessed Sacrament who have worked with many people like me as a child mm -hmm. to help us come along and, and have faith in our abilities. So it's a really wonderful time. Mm -hmm. And so the next performance after this is going to be Women of Strength, yes, an opera a, gala. Yes, uh, uh, opera workshop, a student's opera workshop. And uh, they'll be doing scenes from different operas by Mozart and uh, Strauss and Offenbach and even Dan Shore, who was 
uh, a teacher at Xavier, a faculty member at Xavier for a while and wrote Freedom Rides, so maybe it's something mm -hmm. from that, but I'm not sure. And Bizet also. Mm -hmm. And Bizet. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. And the dates for that are November 4th and 5th, yeah. and that's at a different location. That's in the administration auditorium. Uh, auditorium. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the symphonic um, band concert celebrating the sisters in the music building, and mm -hmm. this is on November 10th. So these are all pretty close. This yeah, is a little so a it's a series. Yeah. Some of them are related to homecoming, because we're about to go into homecoming November 14th through the 18th. Aren't you smart to so. capture those <laughs> alums coming in for the game, right? Yeah. For the beauty yeah. of it all, a concert choir fall concert on November 14th. Mm -hmm. And that is, tell me about that a little. Um, that I don't know as much about, but, but part of it is the uh, the music will be about celebrating the beauty of different things. Like one of them will be the song uh, uh, for the beauty of the earth. And so mm -hmm. it's a, our students' concert choir. Oh, it sounds really beautiful. Yeah. And then the Distinguished Alumni Concert honoring Miss L Mrs. Lorraine Wilson, and she just passed mm -hmm. not too long ago, and I'm sorry to see her go. She was a spirit, a very important spirit for Absolutely. not just Angel, her daughter, that so mm -hmm. many of us know, but for everybody in the city. And I'm sorry that uh, she's no longer with us. But um, Michael White, Stephen Sweetwine, mm -hmm. your music faculty, alumni, and students. So that's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> An opening of our legacy photo exhibit that goes with that. And um, tell me about that. We have there's uh, an opera history and music history photo exhibit in the lobby of the music building that we have added to um, and done some specific historically related panels uh, related to Sister Elise and um, and other um, stars that came out of Xavier like Deborah Brown and Laverne Monette and uh, we're paying homage to them and looking at our past as we plan our future. So it's, it's coming together as a beautiful photo exhibit in the lobby of the music building and uh, so we you will said unveil it. So you said the magic words to me, past and future. So um, I'm curious to understand a little bit about um, yeah, your program, because, you know, of course, Xavier, we, we all think of Xavier as pre-med, as pharmacy. Mm -hmm. Those are some of the things that's really well known for. And um, I know a little bit about the visual arts department because mm -hmm. of Ron Bichet, who's a friend, but I don't know that much about the music programming at the, at the school. Well, so one of the things tell is, me about is it. exciting to me being um, a lover of history and that Opera Creole is so historically focused. But when Sister came along in 1934, there was no home of opera in New Orleans. We had, it had been uh, a really big opera center, and when the French Opera House burned in 1919, uh, there was no real home of opera. And so there were traveling troops that came through to present operas. And at that time, African Americans could not go when the traveling troops came. And so Sister wanted to, she said, you know, we have the singers, we have the talent, we have the ability, we're going to produce full opera, and uh, Xavier became the home of opera in New Orleans hmm. from wow. 1934 until the New Orleans Opera Association was formed in 1942, if I have that correct, if I have that date correct. Um, they did big productions like Aida, I mean, for beautiful, the, the photographs are just beautiful. Okay. Um, Carmen, um, Dialogues of the Carmelite, Traviata, Traviata yeah. all of those big, and they also did uh, an opera written by uh, Clarence Cameron White uh, called Wanga that was all about um, African culture. And so she really broke a lot of barriers 
in what she did. And and uh, that early on. That it's, early it, on. It's always amazing to us at this time when we are still going through very trying times mm -hmm. in yeah. our racial yeah. um, sociology yeah. in this country to think back on people like her who who did something so mm -hmm. dramatic you know how did she pull it off how did she do it how did she get the the support and the funding and the people to participate you think about how hard it is to do things now how did she do it then well i can answer that to a certain extent because i did an undergraduate degree at xavier and uh, sister elise was still there and very wow. very active and the big production when I was, I think, a sophomore was Carmen. Xavier at that time had several singers in Europe, especially Germany in particular, who had major careers doing that particular opera. So she called, she called in the, 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 the jits, as they say. I mean, <laughs> she called these people in and said, hey, Xavier's your school, come back and, and uh, mm -hmm. perform. And as a member of the chorus, because all of us who were students had to be chorus members, she came one day to a rehearsal and said, now we will give each of you two complimentary tickets, but of course you will give them back to us so that we can sell them. <laughs> <And> <laughs> so, so she was a pretty astute businesswoman. She, yeah. she, was, she was a shrewd operator. Oh, I'll was. say. That's, that's yeah, and Xavier's history in vocal music is, is astounding, and also in instrumental music. I mean, mm -hmm. a lot of the musicians who are playing in the city now were trained at Xavier. Even yeah. even the Marsalis boys went to the Xavier music, uh, junior, junior School, school. of Music. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah, I think Terrence Blanchard You know, the more I think about it, the mm -hmm. more I'm sort of recalling. Mm -hmm. I, I really misspoke. I, I'm recalling mm -hmm. now more that I forgot that I knew mm -hmm. about and, the and program there. Of, um, mm -hmm. What I feel like is part of my mission is because people have sort of forgotten what they knew. And so we mm -hmm. want to remind them of what Xavier has meant, what it still means, and to get them there and get them involved with us. One of the great stories that I've, I've been recently telling people is everyone knows about the great uh, bass that came out of New Orleans, Norman Tragel. And uh, he was a Loyola graduate. But he also came and did opera at Xavier after he graduated. Mm -hmm. So there's a great photo of, of Norman Tragel with Xavier graduate Laverne Monette, who went on to be a Metropolitan Opera a winner. And the two of them sang together in New York City opera quite a bit. And so there's all these great stories that we have the opportunity to tell uh, that we want people to come out and share with us and, and help us to go to the future. So tell me about the future. What 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 are you cooking up? What is your what is your your ambition for um, the program at Xavier? Well, um, we have we have a great deal of ambition. I mean, we're a small program. Uh, you're correct to think about uh, pharmacy and pre-med when mm -hmm. you think of Xavier because it has an outstanding reputation in mm -hmm. those areas. In music, uh, <clears throat> we're trying to reclaim our our. Uh, reputation and uh, one of the ways it's really it's probably not so much reputation as awareness yeah mm -hmm. yeah, yeah and uh, but one of the things we're we're understanding that uh, traditional music notwithstanding that we do need to move into the future so we're trying to design programs that will allow us to have minors in music business and possibly management oh, minors in yeah. jazz studies I mean we have dr. Michael white there who's mm -hmm. an absolute 
a <laughs> wonderful <laughs> authority on traditional Prince, Prince jazz. Prince of music. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, Dr. Timothy Turner, who's wonderful mm -hmm. in more modern uh, jazz. Mm -hmm. So it, it really only makes sense for us to try to develop programs in, in jazz studies. And I think it's and so important, too, that you're doing this because um, I think that Loyola is a fantastic school. Mm -hmm. But one thing I've always... Um, been aware of and, and um, I don't want to say concerned about, although, yeah, I have some concern about the fact that a lot of the students who go there are from elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And when they're finished with their schooling here, they go back elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And so we're not seeing as much of the investment into our, our musical culture here as one would prefer. And so having a, a strong program at Xavier that New Orleans students are aware of and will be a part of, I think, is a really important part of, you know, uh, sort of um, bring, uh, helping people reach their potential, as you were saying mm -hmm. before about mm -hmm. Sister Elise. Mm -hmm. You know, really, that's something that my the organization I work with, the Creative Alliance of New Orleans, we're very interested in making sure high school students know about their opportunities in the Absolutely. creative fields. And so Absolutely. just making sure they know that they can go yeah. to school, uh, further schooling programs that can help them, that, that they can make careers, mm -hmm. that there are opportunities for them. That's part and of what you're all about. And another thing that's happening at Xavier is we're getting <coughs> calls from people who are wanting to come in as pharmacy major or pre-med majors, but they play an instrument. And they've always played. They want to know what they can do. And, and now we're seeing them either double majoring. We're seeing them coming in, minoring in music, and putting those two things together. Right. And the reality is that the brain processes both things exactly the same way. So it's really a, a great thing for them to be able to experience that in the, in the fullest sense. Right. I, I think it's, it sounds like a, a, this. every single one of these programs that you've got uh, listed here, uh, Nyaho, <coughs> the Women uh, with the Opera Gala, the Symphonic Band Concert, um, the Beauty of It All Choir <laughs> Concert, and um, your alumni um, concert with Michael White and, and his group. And it's, they all sound beautiful. So this starts... This Thursday, tomorrow mm -hmm. night. Tomorrow afternoon. Um, uh, afternoon. Mm -hmm. oh, oh, okay. Oh, with the lecture in the afternoon, right. Mm -hmm. And what time mm -hmm. is that? That's at 12.15. At 12.15. Oh, in the music building. In the music building. Mm -hmm. And then at night in the uh, St. Catherine Drexel Chapel. On Friday evening. Friday evening. At 7. Okay, yes. we're going to get this straight. Yeah. <laughs> Thursday at 12.15 is a lecture by William Chapman Niahu. Mm -hmm. And um, then his performance is Friday night at 7 o'clock at St. Uh, Sister Catherine Drexel um, Chapel. And there's no admission charge. And yeah. no admission. No admission. <laughs> well, somebody's had, had to do a lot of work to yeah. make that possible. <laughs> and, and this chapel is the most, for people who know Xavier, this is the most recently built separate chapel. It's not in the administration building. So right. we want to make sure that they come to So where would be the Drexel. best place for people to park? When they go there, right across the street from the chapel, there's uh, there's a, a a parking lot that is really fairly substantial. Yeah. So and it's, it's easy. easy to find. Yeah. So they can just GPS it and they'll be in business. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, listen, guys. I am not figuring out how to plug <laughs> this in, but um, I I'm I'm totally um, knocked out by what what you're doing here. This program sounds amazing. Thank you. Thank and you. I'm glad you could come in, and I hope to make at least some of them. Yeah, I don't great. know this weekend. I, I'm I'm still unsure about what my schedule for the weekend is going to be, but um, 
hope that I'll be able to join you. Great. Sounds Great. beautiful. Mm -hmm. Thank you very Thank much you. for coming in, both sure. of you. Okay, so staying in the music universe um, in a slightly different kind of character. Di different but the same. Uh, you're different but the same. Music is music. And, um, and actually, your music is, um, in a way, uh, not unrelated to Nyahu in the sense that it is, um, you know, I, I listened to a little bit of it uh, mm -hmm. yesterday mm -hmm. uh, when I wanted to get to know a little bit more about your work. And then I know we're going to play some as part of our program as well. But um, you're mixing genres. Definitely. That's There's what hip-hop is about, though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, some hip-hop more than others. Well, and at its origin, and I mean, even just moving forward, it, it, it's it's all. Wait, this is Nesby Phipps, everybody. Yeah, Nesby <laughs> Phipps and the SBYP. Yeah. Yes, but uh, that's you can't, you almost can't make a, a, a hip hop song without pulling from another genre. Like the origin of it is, we pull from different, we pull from disco, we pull from reggae, the whole nine, and even to this day, we still do it. You know, I never really um, made that connection. Particularly, to be honest, you should watch the Get Down on Netflix. Y'all heard that? Yep. You should watch the, <laughs> the Get, Get Down. Down on Netflix. I'm going to have to check yeah. in. You know, I'm one of those people who used to know everything that was going on. I used mm -hmm. to be heavy out in the night scene, and mm -hmm. I knew every little permutation of music and dance. I used to be a go-go dancer at one point in my life. Blah uh -oh. blah blah. But um, then you kind of you get involved in other things. Uh -huh. You don't go out as much as night. So I don't know what's going on, really, <laughs> to be honest. So I I really love catching up with things. And, um, you know, as I said, thanks to my husband who had a conversation with you. That was very serendipitous. Ride. Yeah, that was serendipitous sitting next to him. Yeah. That was awesome. He, he's, he is, he's awesome. He is awesome. He's yeah. a very special character because he talked about mixing genres very much. So you'll have to come see his artwork one of these days. I definitely am. And just uh, credit to him. As a kid, the CAC was like the pinnacle of like imagination in front of my face when the world was just so kind of like blah in the 80s. You're like, giving me chills. Yeah, yeah. He, he, it was my favorite place growing up. The, those, really? those were the, the best well, field trips. How did you get introduced to it? To the CAC? Yeah. Field trips at Gentilly Terrace. So uh, I was in a gifted program, and we would take our own field trips outside of the regular classrooms. The CAC was one of the places we would visit at least once or twice a year. Wow. And, just who, the and, and who was it that was taking you there? Uh, Dr. Elfman and Miss Monick. I haven't seen them in over 20-some years, but if I, if I see them, I kiss them on the forehead because they introduced <laughs> me to so much. So at what much. school? Gentilly Terrace. Gentilly Terrace, mm -hmm. okay. Well, Gentilly Terrace um, kind of went through problems for um, – Katrina came back, mm -hmm. got fixed up. As did most schools. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Um, all right, well, back to hip-hop. And you know what? Let's play just a little bit so we can sort of have a reference point for people who are not familiar with what we're talking about. Early to be and early to rise. You know what I'm saying? I get more done before 5 a.m. than most get done all day.
early bird is victorious. Beat the son of the punch, she's vanglorious. So we hopped in the car and slid off on his way uptown for more of that. I'm so down for this. I think I might need a crown for this. What up, pressure? Meet pain. We put this together and be clever. We're gang gang. You're standing in the shadow of a fabulous man. And oh, no, I am. I'm so down for this. I think I might need a crown for this. You could tell from his inner glow that he indigo. Improvise the enterprise like he in a note. Into the street, into the sheep. He been a goat. Been a shepherd, the sheep. Tell him where to go. The esoteric veteran. He's a rap cleric. Diabetic, thinking his sweet need a paramedic. The simple mind, think he arrogant from vocabulary. The last thing that he need is another adversary. So he hopped in the car and slid off. On his way uptown for more of that. I'm so down for this. I think I might need a crown for this. Like that. That I like that a go. lot. That was I like produced that by a me lot. as well. But man, I'm telling you, I I, I hear what you're saying uh, more clearly now, maybe t- in part because you said it, but. You know, at first I'm hearing it and I'm saying, oh, sounds almost like symphonic yep. m- film score music. Yep. And then next thing you know, I'm hearing, um, you know, uh, the the sound of the uh, rhythm section almost sounded like uh, some kind of um, the African bead instrument. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I'm hearing slightly Middle Eastern mm-hmm. with the flute yeah. influence in there. No, but also that the the um, vocal mm-hmm. uh, was uh, saying that to me. And then, um, and then yeah, the flute. Half of what you so name, levels. half of what you name isn't even in there. Just to let you know how it's much of an art form, right? Just to show you how suggestion. much of an art form it is. Now the beat. I want to talk about the beat because yeah. you know everybody. I once interviewed Mick Jagger, right? When, well, I, was, when I was a television reporter in another lifetime, mm. and um, I had permission to enter. He was here for the Superdome uh, concert, okay. And a friend of mine uh, made it possible for me to do the interview. But the condition, you know, when you do with these celebrities, there are conditions about what the interview is going to be about. Yeah. So it was supposed to be only about New Orleans music. Ah. So I asked them all these questions. And I said, well, what is it about New Orleans music that's so special? He says, well, there's the beat. There's the who? The, the beat. beat. Oh, the beat. <laughs> the beat. The beat. All right, got you. So um, th- that beat was uh, – I don't, I don't know how to describe that beat. You, mm-hmm. you tell me. Uh, well, I mean, it's actually a break beat. It's uh, Clive Stubberfield's uh, funky drummer. Loop from it was James Brown's drummer, and that's an infamous loop within hip hop. So uh, that's where that comes from. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was very interesting. Yeah, I mean it's it w- it's so great. And that was done electronically. Yeah, or? I, I produced that on Logic. I produced that on Logic. Okay, I, so I that have, wasn't the instrument that I was thinking. It sounded like that that bead thing. Uh uh-uh, uh It wasn't. It wasn't. That. That. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, but that wasn't it. That's was yeah. just a Clive Stubberfield loop and. Um, I actually got the footage of that coming out soon when I actually made that beat. And um, it was just me doing exactly what hip-hop is, pulling some old records, uh, you know. I pulled from three, four different places. 
put something together and you got, you know, somewhat of now a is this a, is this a new piece? That's a new piece that's coming out on the catch-up, which will be dropping any day now. The catch-up 2, actually. Catch-up 2. Yeah, the catch-up 2. And, and where is that going to be available? Uh, it will be available on my website, nesbifips.com, um, streaming on SoundCloud. Some of the songs will be on iTunes because we haven't got clearances on all of them. That one in particular. That one particular. That one. That's got to be on iTunes. We got a video and everything. What's what's the name of the tune? That's called Five O'clock. That's unreleased. I have one video on YouTube from that project called Cream on Chrome. Um, So you can check that out. See, I I looked at that. Um, Pretty like that one. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see it. I listened. Okay. I I tuned into something that just had the audio. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. I was. I was fascinated about it. Okay. So how did you get started in all this? What What uh, What drove you to this? I was always a creative. I was always a creative ever since I was a kid. I was either putting something together or trying to uh, deconstruct something. Uh grew up in a house with instruments. Um, I was always drawing, sketching, writing short stories. It was just like a wake up with this drive to like release some stuff. Till this day, the same thing happens every morning. I'm not a person that can sleep past sun up and you know, and that's when I get the most of my stuff done. His first thing in the morning. My husband's the same way. When yeah. he does his, you know, he has a day job. He does marketing mm-hmm. things and, and urban planning. Mm-hmm. But in the early in the morning is when he makes his art. And yeah. sometimes he'll go through a, a period where he'll be sketching and he'll sketch like hundreds, mm-hmm. hundreds mm-hmm. during a period of time. And they're all starting to lay them all out on the table and do yep. one after the other when he's working. Yeah, it's sort of a chaos th- theory what? <laughs> approach to it. It is. It is. Because I can't. To to a degree, I can't control what comes, uh, but at some point I gotta slow it down enough to get it out. You know what I'm saying? Um, and you know, and what comes, I really can't. I don't decide. I don't determine it. You know, I'm sort of like a vehicle because, especially once my music started being released, and I started seeing how people responded to it and how much people gravitated towards it, and, and it became a part of their lives. It I I became less of a narcissistic artist and just understood that I was a middleman that I was communicating something far beyond my understanding. That's you know, not to sound too artsy farsy, but th- this is like my real life experience going from a bedroom artist to actually traveling the whole continent and seeing how you know, art of all forms, be it my music or my visual arts or even my videos, um, just how what it means to other people. Like it was so much more to them than it was to me when I was creating it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's a it's an interesting position to play being an artist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's true that a lot of artists are a little bit um, more internal. Yeah, narcissistic. That, that could get in My you. husband's not that way, but a lot of artists are, are that way. Yeah, Bob's a pretty even kill. Yeah. But some, some artists are that way to their detriment, and especially when it comes to trying to live off your art. And that's when you become, you know, Van Gogh and cutting off your ear out here. But well, let's talk about that for a minute because that's always a challenge to be both creative, uh-huh. but to have that business instinct too uh-huh. of how you take your your creative products and get it out into the marketplace and get it in front of other people. That, that that's a that's a hard transition. A lot of artists don't make. It's hard, but it's not impossible. I always say when people ever even bring that word up, hard. I say easiest for kindergartners. We've been got past the ABC stage of things. And, I mean, it's the equivalent to trying to balance your professional life when when I like to go drink with my homies on the weekend. You know, it's a balance to it. And you have to know when to turn off your attachment to your art in order to release it uh, in the the marketplace, to go from art to commerce. You know, and a lot of people want to remain artistic in the marketplace, and that's really not the place for you. Like, the designers of Cadillacs and um, Mercedes-Benz's aren't the guys on the showroom floors. 
You don't understand what I'm saying? So you have to know your position. That's why it's always And that's why I think a lot of artists resist doing the marketing and the business side because they think somehow it it, it poisons or or it, um, it 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 taints the art and to a degree it does because once it hits the marketplace it compromises and once it hits the the marketplace a lot of what mattered during the creativity process doesn't matter when it's out in the stores and on the shelves and when people are consuming it you know what I'm saying and you, and it's hard for artists to separate that and artists make two mistakes they either uh, withhold their art because this they're afraid of entering that space or they try to jump into the space still using the same parameters that an artist would use in a business space and both of those are detrimental mm -hmm. and this is why a team is important so you have to be kind of schizophrenic in a way uh if you want to call it that or you got to know how to connect both sides of that brain you know and you know learning to play an instrument and stuff like that uh kind of helps connect those two sides and um and and you 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 know how learning to learning to play an instrument helps you connect the two sides the two sides of your brain explain that to me uh you know one side of your brain is creative right and the other side is very structured and so on and so forth well there are some uh experiments or reports out there that give proof that you know you could connect the I got, what do you call it the neuron highways if you will in your brain mm -hmm. if I'm 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 no neurologist so forgive my terminology um, it connects. That's a, that's a good metaphor. Yeah, it's a, it, it connects the. It, it creates a superhighway between both those sides of your brain, mm -hmm. and it allows you to be able to function. Also, because some people are all one way. Some people are all administrative. They can organize a house to the T, but they can't draw a circle perfectly. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Without like feeling like it's the worst circle in the world, and uh, and by doing that, you know, especially at an early age, you develop the ability to operate on both sides. So you actually said something just now that, that triggers a thought in my mind um, because I think it takes also, um, if you're narcissistic, then it's easy, but if you're not, to have the confidence, mm -hmm. you were just talking about the confidence level to be able to make the, those transitions and to do both, mm -hmm. that, that takes a lot of character. That takes a lot of strength of conviction in what you're doing. Again, easiest, How did you develop that? Easiest for kindergartners. So... Like I was just telling someone who uh, I think they had a presentation to make the other day. They were telling me how nervous they were. And I told them I've been performing for over 10 years and the butterflies never go away. You just got to know how to work through them. The fear never goes away. You just got to know how to put it in its place so you can work through it. Like none of these things, when you master something, it, it, it isn't that fear is gone and I never feel it anymore. Fear is a big indicator for me as an artist that I'm going into within a space that I haven't been before. And that I should be there, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. If I'm comfortable, that means I've done it before, which means I'm, I'm prone to be lazy and not on point when I'm within that space. You know, I personally have learned to use fear as an indicator and work That's through it. That's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. And, and my confidence so comes you, from so experience. So you welcome the fear in a way as a result. I mean, it, it you, it's an indicator. It's a it's contrast. A, yeah, it's yeah. definitely a contrast. And contrast is what defines anything. You know. If, you know, so, think about it. so how do you see all this shaping up on, on, on uh, going forward? What's what's your ambition? What's your trajectory? How do you see your work developing? Um, one thing I'm working on is synergizing all that I do uh, with music, art, and you know some aspects of film. Um, you know, I learned them together, kind of like I learned how to make beats because I used to be a rapper who didn't have beats. Right, and then you know I was always an artist, but then my art found a place, not only uh, on other people's walls, but as some of my artwork for my music, you know. And you know, film is the ultimate uh, collaboration between the two. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's sound and visual put together. Mm-hmm. So you know, in anything and mm-hmm. everything within that world, I plan on doing. I'll be doing all of this until I die. You don't have to ask me when you see me five years from now. Hey, you still doing music? You know, and I'm gonna be like, Yo, you still breathing? Because <laughs> this is what I do. I'm an artist. You know, this, there is no expiration date on this. And you know, my kids are taking on. My my daughter is drawn to the music side. So I found the fountain of youth by working with her. It's brought me back to the fundamentals parts of it and Giovanna Joseph was is one of her vocal instructors and then my son he's taken after the artistic side so he's he's great with the pen mm. he prefers ink over paint uh, but he does paint as well so that again I'm I'm renewed in that sense so I'm learning so much more and he's advancing way further than I did mm. at that age I mean the things he because I started him off with tracing much like you would do if uh, you learn how to write you mm-hmm. trace letters yeah and uh and he he took the training wheels off way before I imagined him doing so like we started in January and probably by the summertime he was painting literally a mural on his wall because he because of an aquarium because I wouldn't let him get fish that he wanted you know? <laughs> so he just put it Love on it. his wall yeah yeah that's true but I'll be doing my trajectory is like if my, is whenever I you know leave this earth like I you know I have a five-year plan right now a bunch of projects that I'm doing so look out for those and what's going to happen beyond those five years is going to be beter- determined by what happens during those five years? But Give me just one one little strand of that five year plan, and then we're almost out of time. And okay. Ask you one real last fast, question. real fast. I have the catch up too coming up. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Right after that is a project I'm leaving for LA next week to work on to finish up called Black Man for Sale. All right. I'm doing that with DJ Fu. That's going to be a very interesting project. Um, then there's Simply Phipps. Um, then the label I work with, uh, I co-founded Double O Seventeen. Uh, 2017 is going to be an amazing year. It already is for our artists, my little brothers, BTY Young and Holly Grove King, Jay Jones, my brothers Reem. Look out for that. Um, there's I'm putting together an art show for myself called uh, Mute the Commercials. And the tricentennial of New Orleans, I have a special project coming up for that as well. So oh. that gives you, you know. And then there's a script or two and the things I'm doing with the Mahalia Jackson in the state. So. You guys pay attention to that. It's just a little bit of energy going on. Yeah, yeah. So, so let's trace this back for a minute because what I, the one thing I didn't mention in the in the interview because it, it's not the most important thing about you, but you do have this incredible, um, let's say, genetic um, mm-hmm. background. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mahalia Jackson yes, was it's, your. Is my great aunt. She's uh, either my great or great great. I forget how you're supposed to use the greats, but she's my great grandmother's sister. Your great grandmother, so, so great great, I think. Mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, how, how does that play out for you? I how mean, does that play did out? Did that influence you in any way? Uh, I can't say directly that it influenced me, though, because you know, you know, like you're before, more of your time. Yeah, before I, before I even knew that I was related to, I was already creating. But uh, my finest, my earliest memories of music was with her sister, and uh, you know, she would she she would sing just like Mahalia would. And uh, I watched Color Purple with her. Uh, we would watch, you know, stories on PBS about Mahalia. And it kind of gave me a confidence and a sense of creative entitlement. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah it exactly. kind of did passively, you know, because I, I'm not necessarily into the genre of gospel. No. But creati- mm-hmm. creativity is creativity. And she was exactly. definitely creative with how she used her voice. Very much so. Mm-hmm. I have to ask you this. My husband will kill me when he knows I ask you this. What's your birthday? December 15th. I'm a Sagittarius. Sag. My father was born on the 12th. Awesome. 
I enjoy this enormously, and I want to track what you're doing. Um, you stay in touch. I will. You have his number. Yes, you have I do. my number. Uh -huh. I'd like to know what you're doing. And, yeah. um, Kudos on that oyster shell, too. I like that. He did that. <laughs> All right. Bob Tad right. is special. <laughs> when um, you get back from L.A., I want to hear from you. And, and as you go through this five-year plan, check in. Okay? All right. All right. All right. Thank you awesome. very much for coming. Enjoyed it very much. Hey, y'all. That's it. Crosstown Conversations is over. You listen to Nesby Phipps as it goes out, and uh, he's got catch-up to dropping any time now, and um, I will see you next week, same time, same place, Gene Nathan, Crosstown Conversations on WBOK. Thank you. They shot my brother down. Oh, no. My God. They got me on the ground. Trigger finger bang bang. Bang, 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 I want for you, you want for me, baby, we been brothers. Ain't nothing fair about your skin color. Don't duck your head for the incoming. Off the slave coast, I feel a gust of wind coming. We finna get in.